everything off. It's a fantastic job. Um, we really are blessed to have a really deep bench of people who love to lead us into a, a greater awareness of God's presence with their skills, and we thank Megan for leading that, and um, it means a lot to our church family. So uh, my name is Joe Davis. Uh, I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Grace Life Sarasota. This is week five of our existence. Isn't that amazing? Week five. And from the, the best I can tell from your, from your rabid emails, only half of you are mad at me at this point. I thought it would be a lot more. We're continuing with our series, on our, our opening series on the book of Philippians about how we're supposed to love one another, what type of culture we want to build here. And we've talked about a lot of different things. We talked about being vulnerable and intimate the first couple of weeks. We talked about willing to see that our suffering can be a gift to others to help them grow. We had a lot of great discussions about how to love one another with affectionate um, compassion. We talked about relentless affection yesterday or uh, last week about how that you can, uh, you have to be able to be relentless in your love for one another if you really are a child of God. And this week we're going to talk about affectionate accountability. And that may seem like an oxymoron. That may seem from our normal medicinal um, perspective of what accountability is. It seems like affection doesn't seem to go with it. But in reality, accountability in a biblical sense really is affectionate. And the passage is Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 30. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to put it up on the screen unless you have a Bible app or you have an actual paper Bible. Uh, You can read it along either way, but I'm going to put it up on the screen in case you uh, didn't bring either one. Um, uh, Starting in verse 19. This is Paul talking. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Why? So that I may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. In other words, I have this incredible, I can't get there, but I really want to send Timothy. And by the way, Timothy is the best I could possibly send. He's the best. He's my number one draft pick. Verse 24, and I trust that in that trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. He still had some hope that maybe he would get out and not be executed. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus was somebody the Philippians had sent to Paul to help deliver gifts and things like that. For he has been longing for you all and has been so distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also. Because if he'd have died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious so receive him with the, uh, in the Lord with all the joy and honor such, such men deserve. For he who nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It's a very powerful passage. And Paul talks about sending these two incredibly talented, qualified men. 
to do an important job. Now, what we like to do at Grace Life, we believe that every passage has three important applications. First is the history. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? And then there's the theology. What about God? What did he do and why and how did he do it? And then and only then can we talk about the devotional application. What about me? What am I supposed to do? Why and how do I do it? Our tendency is to be impatient and go right to the devotional. And you don't get the right application of scripture when you do that. So let's look at the historical application of today's passage. I want to talk about how these men had earned the privilege. Not only Timothy and Epaphroditus, but Paul as well. Paul has such an amazing affection for these people. We've discussed that the last few weeks. And because he has such amazing, passionate affection, he is not afraid to tell it like it is. As a man who is charged with their spiritual well-being, he decides to send some high-caliber accountability to the Philippians. Now, understand something. His desire to send accountability to the Philippians was not motivated, motivated by some desire to catch them, like a gotcha moment. That's not what it was at all. Matter of fact, he says, I want to send him because I'm suffering here, and I just need to hear some good news about you guys. I mean, you guys are so awesome. I just want to hear news so I can be joy and joyful. And, and I'm also sending because I don't want to have to worry about you guys anymore. He said later on, I'm sending them because I want to be less anxious. That's what his motivation was for sending these two accountability partners. Now, how did Paul earn that privilege? First of all, I want you to see there was credibility. In verse 19 to 22, he explains a pattern that demonstrated integrity and commitment. Now listen, Paul had a very special relationship with this Timothy guy. They had ministered together in many different places in many different times. They had suffered together. They had had victory together. They were very close friends. I would probably say that Timothy was his closest friend. And Paul is in jail facing execution. And he knows he's going to be alone, but he says, I've got to send this guy. The Philippians knew who Timothy was, and they knew that he was Paul's right-hand man, so they knew that sending Timothy was a very big step for Paul. Sending Timothy to Philippi speaks to how much he loved them. He wanted to make sure that they had accountability. Why? Let me explain why. This is important. Because shepherding without accountability is really just surface political love. Shepherding without accountability is just surface political love. It is designed to reach certain goals that you have. It is not designed to help other people. So that's the credibility of these two men. The details. He provided boundaries and targets for his accountability. It wasn't just some blanket, I'm going to send him to make sure you're doing everything right. No, he said, I'm going to send him for these reasons. In verse 23 and 24, Paul explains when he would send them gave a timetable, how he would send them. And in the previous passage we talked about last week, he explained two reasons. First of all, there was a problem with grumbling a little bit. It wasn't a perfect church. It wasn't like Grace Life. It wasn't perfect. And so there was some grumbling and carrying on behind the scenes. And he wanted to make sure that he said, listen, don't grumble, but have relentless affection. Now I'm sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to deal with that. But he also wanted to send them so that 
he could be encouraged by all the good stuff that they're doing. He wasn't just sending them accountability because they stunk at the grumbling part. He was also, get this now, he was also sending them accountability because they were so good at the other stuff they were doing. That doesn't make sense, does it? Accountability for the good things? You see, accountability needs to have specific, agreed-upon guidelines and purposes ahead of time. Otherwise, resentment will set in, distrust, and bitterness. So those are the details he provided. He had credibility, he had details. Then there's a history of sacrifice in verse 25 to 27. I love this. Epaphroditus nearly died. And how did he die? He died trying to bridge the gap between the Philippians and Paul. There were issues going on. He needed things. They had things. They would send him. There were issues going on delivering letters and ideas and things like that. And in the process of him serving Paul and the Philippians, he almost died. Paul says he was good at making sure that he bridged the gap where you were falling short. He was the reason that you have been so faithful because of the things that he did to make up the deficiencies. It's a privilege that is earned, but once it's earned, you better allow it. Can you see, can you imagine with all the stuff that Epaphroditus had done with and for the Philippians, if it came down to the fact where he says, I'm sending Epaphroditus, and the Philippians said, no, we don't want Epaphroditus. Yes, he did all this stuff for us. Yes, he almost died serving us. Yes, he's been faithful to us. And yes, he's been faithful to you. And yes, he loves Jesus, but we don't want accountability for him. Can you see how vicious and cruel-hearted it would have been for the Philippians to say, nah. But they didn't. Why? Because Epaphroditus had a history of sacrifice, and he had earned this privilege. Can you see how loveless it is in our lives? If we deny someone with a track record of these things to hold us accountable? Okay, so that's the history, the theology. Where faith exists, affectionate accountability will also. Look at this passage. We've talked about this passage every week by design. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother or sister abides in death. Hear what he says. If you do not love your brother or your sister, you're living in death. This is how we know whether or not we actually know Jesus. We love each other. I want to talk about affectionate accountability. What I'm sharing with you today on the theological aspect of this passage Affectionate accountability is a natural byproduct of gospel-centered love. Guys, we must have affection for accountability. In fact, affectionate accountability is a sure sign that there is love in our church family. Because when true love is present, affectionate accountability will be also. I'm going to define this term for you in just a moment. But see, accountability, this is important. Accountability is a key ingredient that makes our relationships intimate and truly beneficial. Otherwise, we are just a surface congregation, a surface church that spends a lot of money getting together once a week in a cool building with a great band and some good donuts and bagels, and we don't do anything. And we never grow. 
And let me tell you, where does accountability come from? It comes from one of the very first things we talked about. It comes from vulnerability. Without vulnerability, there is no accountability. Without accountability, there is no church. All church becomes is something to consume. Something to fulfill your liturgical itch, your desire for a certain type of music, a certain style of teaching, a certain type of fellowship, entertainment, a reason to get up early enough on Sunday morning so you don't miss football, anything like that. Church becomes something you consume rather than something that transforms you. Because let me tell you, and I said something like this last week, and I'm going to say it again, because these are foundational concepts that are important to our church. Liturgy and worship will not change you. They might make you feel like they're changing you, but they won't change you. God's word and intimate relationships with his people change you. So like whenever you're in a worship setting and you really feel it, it felt, feels really good. Oh man, I feel the presence of God. I feel great. It's awesome. That's not transforming you. Did you know that? Like the band is doing great. There. If you're enjoying that worship, that's not changing you. It's making you enjoy the presence of God, but it's not changing you. God's word changes you. Intimate relationships change you. And so the theological part of our passage today is this. If there truly is the love of Christ in our church among each other, there will be affectionate accountability. So let's look at the devotional part of this. I'm going to talk about two-way affectionate accountability and how it is required. <clears throat> so now I'm going to flip your perspective on what accountability is. This is the part that I really want you to take home. Affectionate accountability isn't discipline. Affectionate accountability isn't punishment. Affectionate accountability isn't confrontation. Affectionate accountability isn't always just an argument. Affectionate accountability is friendship. It's devotion. We see that in verses 28 to 30. Now listen, did you know that sometimes accountability isn't negative? It's positive, like it's affirming. We call it principled affirmation. <clears throat> Paul wasn't extending them because there was a ton of problems. Yeah, there was a little problem with grumbling. But really, he wanted to encourage them, and he wanted to be encouraged himself. Did you ever see that allowing accountability in your life is actually a way to love someone else? Think about this for a minute. If there are people that have earned the privilege, can you see how you are loving them when you say, hey, you know what you've done? You have been a friend. You have been vulnerable with me. You've been honest. You have sacrificed for me. You've been with me for a long time. Will you please hold me accountable? You know what you're saying? I love you a lot more than I love most people. Will you come into my life in areas that other people are not allowed? Can you see how allowing someone to be accountable or allowing someone to hold you accountable is you saying, I love you? And I will tell you right now, if you don't have people in your life that you allow to hold you accountable, you know what it means? You don't have much love for the brethren. You hear it? If you don't have people in your life holding you accountable, you don't have much love. Oh, you have love, but it's for yourself. And your relationships are selfish. But see, affectionate accountability is a two-way street. First of all, there's the extending the privilege to others. 
When you extend this privilege of affectionate accountability to people in your life, it is an affirmation and an encouragement to them. If there are people that have earned the privilege, can you see how that you could love them in this way? Can you see how not allowing those that earn it is actually hateful? Disrespectful? What's the other part of this two-way accountability? This is important. Yep, that's right. Look what I put. Earning the privilege from others. It's not just about you allowing other people. It's you putting in the time and the effort and the vulnerability to earn it from other people. By the way, earning it does not mean, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable. Can I just tell you, like, as a pastor over the course of my career, I've had people that I don't know really well want to hold me accountable, especially after a sermon. And so, the, Pastor Joe, can I talk to you? They pull me aside. Hey, let me tell you where you missed. And I, I'm like, but you know what I'm really hearing? Cuss words. That's all I'm hearing. Why? Because I don't know them. They haven't put in the work to earn the privilege. Can you see how trying to hold someone accountable without earning the privilege would be offensive, disrespectful, ineffective? But we are so good at that as evangelical Christians, aren't we? We want to hold whole groups of people that we don't agree with their morality. We want to hold whole groups of people in our country accountable. And we haven't even earned the privilege. Who do we think we are? We haven't served them. We haven't sacrificed for them. We haven't spent time with them. But we want to hold them accountable in a bunch of different ways, with our speech, with our politics. We love it. Accountability without mutual, listen, accountability without mutual vulnerability is a powder keg of church drama waiting to happen. Word. <laughs> you know what it shows? It shows that you are selfish with your relationships. You really don't love people. You just love what they do for you. True love grows deep. True love creates vulnerability, relentless vulnerability. True love creates compassion. True love creates straight talk. And to earn the right to hold someone accountable, which by the way, remember, when you allow someone to hold you accountable, it's saying, I really love you. So when you earn the right, it is an incredible work of love. You have to earn it. And to earn it, you have to be vulnerable. If you haven't earned the right from someone else to, for you to hold them accountable, think about this now. See, accountability is not just, okay, make sure I do right. Accountability is also you saying, how can I show my true devotion to this person to let them know that they can ask me to hold them accountable? If you haven't earned the right from someone else, it means you aren't vulnerable enough. It means you may not have the love of Jesus in your life. I submit to you that earning the privilege takes more vulnerability than granting it. Earning the privilege of holding someone accountable takes more vulnerability and humility and work than granting it to someone. <clears throat> you see, love based on the gospel will have a natural flow toward affectionate accountability. And if you are part of a church but have no two-way accountability relationships, you aren't really part of a church. You are a perimeter player. We are perimeter players afraid to make commitments. 
If you don't have two-way accountability relationships in your life, you are a perimeter player afraid to actually make a commitment to a church family. And you know what usually results from people like that? Grumbling. Make sense? Because you're not vulnerable. And usually where does grumbling take place? Behind the scenes. Let me give you some examples of my personal accountability. Dear friend of mine, um, we lost a few months ago, Mike Gerzini. Last summer, uh, actually maybe 18 months ago, we were getting ready to go to a beach party with all the nightlight kids after church. So the Saturday before we went to Costco, have you all ever been to Costco? It is impossible to go with a shopping list. It's impossible to go with a shopping list and leave with just that shopping list. So you're there. I'm thinking, I'm just going to go to Costco with Mike. We're going to buy some buns and some hot dogs and maybe a little bit of mustard, and we're out of there. 100 bucks. So I'm there. That's a shiny cooler. We could use that at the beach. That's a good one. Our grill is nasty. We need another grill. Oh, relish? Okay, yeah, relish. Oh, you have to buy it six bottles at a time at Costco. Okay, fine, six bottles. <laughs> yes, six bottles of ketchup, six bottles of mustard. I might need seven, so now I have 12. You get it? <laughs> We're buying footballs and Frisbees and speakers and music and all kind of stuff. Air conditioning. We're buying all this stuff for the beach. And I get to the register. I see that I expected 150. It's like 400, 500, 600 bucks. And I'm, I'm sorry. I'm angry. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh. I said, Mike, if our nightlife kids don't show up, I'm going to be really upset. And he says, Joe, get with the program. We're not there for our other kids. We're there for new kids. Don't you get it? And so Mike was a guy who'd been with me. I've known him for years. And Mike was, you know, Mike had his struggles, but Mike and I had a vulnerable relationship. And you know what he did right in the middle of Costco? He held Pastor Joe accountable. Now, I'd held Mike accountable at other times, but you know what? It was a two-way affectionate accountability relationship because I trusted Mike. I'd been vulnerable with him. He had been really vulnerable with me. So here's this young man who's got his struggles in his life. He had earned the right to hold Pastor Joe accountable. You know why? Because I love that guy because I knew he loved me. Now, at the moment he said it, I wanted to slap him in the face, but <laughs> he was right. Let me tell you about another group of people that hold me accountable. There are people, a list of people, some of them are in this room today. These people, they have earned the privilege to call me anytime they want, to call me out on anything they want, even if I disagree with them, which probably will happen. You know what? I will hear them because I love them because I know they love me, and I trust their motives. You know, I feel privileged that they hold this role in my life, and I hope, guys, to those of you that are in this room, I hope you feel privileged that you have earned the right for me, for me to be completely vulnerable in my marriage, in my finances, in my ministry, in what, and, you know, whatever, how I drive on 41, all that stuff. One lady, uh, Linda, said that she was driving, and she passed me on 41. I said, that's impossible. But she did. She said she passed me. See, that's vulnerable. Now you can hold me accountable, Linda. If I... 
There's another group of accountability I have in my life that you guys don't even know about that I'm going to share with you today. Grace Life is a non-denominational church. That means we don't have a denominational office or a presbytery over us, meaning, you know, we can kind of be our own entity. But early on, I recognized, you know, there's an importance for me to have an accountability group if I ever do something wrong and you guys need a recourse, that there's a group of people in town that you can go to. There's a group of five pastors in town. We put this group together about three months ago. Brian Yost is a a minister in town. He helped me put it together. There are five pastors in town that if there's ever a problem with what I'm teaching, how I'm behaving, how I'm driving, (laughs) these are people that our elders and our shepherds know that they could go to and say, hey, we've got a little problem with Pastor Joe. Can you help us? And we have picked these people ahead of time. You know why? Because they have earned the privilege to hold me accountable. They love our town. They love the gospel. You know who else they love? You. And so your pastor has these accountability. Sometimes these are vulnerable, scary relationships. But you know what? Affectionate accountability better be present if you think you love Jesus. Guys, grace life has to be... It has to have an unbridled culture of two-way affectionate accountability. If we're going to be any different than any other church, we have to have two-way affectionate accountability. And I'm going to challenge some of you today. I'm going to make you very uncomfortable. I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything like that. But here it is. Is there anyone that you trust? with affectionate accountability? Is there anyone in your life that you'd say, you know what, and I'm not talking about a spouse. They're going to tell you what they think anyway. (laughs) Amen, husbands. Amen, wives. Preach. I'm talking about people outside your family. Are there any people in your life that can call you up anytime, three o'clock in the morning? Hey, you got a problem with this. And you trust them, even if you disagree. Better yet, is there anyone that trusts you? That's a better question, isn't it? Because if there's no one that trusts you, guys, let me tell you something. If no one trusts you to hold them accountable, that ought to be a massive red flag in your walk with Jesus. Massive. That means you are not vulnerable. You have a facade. You have a barrier. You have a boundary that keeps you from loving people the way Jesus loved us, the way Paul loved the Philippians, the way Epaphroditus loved the Philippians. If no one holds you accountable or if no one trusts you to hold them accountable, you've got a problem. So here's your assignment. This week, better yet this afternoon before kickoff, can you make a short list of one, two, Three brothers or sisters in Christ that you trust? Have you been blessed with anyone in your life that has earned the privilege of affectionate accountability with no boundaries? Your finances, your internet search history. I'm not joking. Affectionate accountability does not have boundaries. It has vulnerability and trust. And if we cannot develop that, then we're never going to achieve the things we're supposed to as a church.
Dad, this accountability stuff is really scary for me. And Lord, I thank you, though, that the work that you're doing in my life, in spite of my own sinfulness, in spite of my own pride, you've put people in my life that are such good people that you have saved, you've been redeeming, you have transformed. They're such good people that I'm so drawn to them that I want them to hold me accountable. God, I pray for our congregation this morning that you would help us to recognize we have got to be vulnerable We have got to earn the right, and we've got to extend it to other people. God, help us to begin to look for, thirst for, a culture of two-way, affectionate accountability. Help us be willing to have the relentlessness to be willing to earn it from others. Help us to be willing to have the vulnerability to extend it to those around us that have earned it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.